Welcome to the Calling the Quarters podcast. This is season two, episode five. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm speaking with Elwine Leefair, who is an astrologer, dowser, and traditional shaman, devoted for several years to the study and teachings of esoteric subjects through digital platforms and social networks. Elwine serves as an author, blogger, and a regular columnist for various national and international publications, where he writes about neo-paganism, witchcraft, astrology, motivation, and spirituality. They have a new book out. It's out today, Dream Witchery. I take you now to my conversation with the wonderful Eloim Leifair. Welcome to the Calling the Quarters podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm speaking with Eloim Leifair, who is an astrologer, dowser, and traditional shaman devoted for several years to the study and teaching of esoteric subjects to digital platforms and social network. Eloim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for welcoming. Good morning. Good morning. How I'm excited. To, I'm doing great. I'm Good. excited to talk about your new book, Dream Witchery, that's coming out um, today. Um, this book is Dream Witchery, Folk Magic, Recipes and Spells from South America for Witches and Brujas. How long have you wanted to write this book and, and tell me um, what you were thinking about when you conceptualized it? Uh, I started writing the first um, idea of this book in 2016. Uh, uh, was in that moment a book on dreams magic. The magic and the Western perspective is totally different to what we do uh, in the indigenous communities. Um, so when I was writing the book, what for me was just a book on dreams magic for multiple editors and authors around there who have the chance to look the book or the manuscript. This was more like a book on indigenous magic. I continue saying this is a book on dreams magic. Then I have the chance to read a couple of books on dreams magic made here in the United States. Uh, I see the perspective is very different here. My dreams are more um, some kind of method of unwilling divination. People just assume that dreams will give you signs or results or answers or predictions. And you don't use the dreams like we do. For us, the dreams is like going to the river. It's something that you just do when you take advantage of that. Uh, indigenous communities have a very big history of being um, very close to the history of the slavery, black communities. Uh, when we are talking about South America, we are talking about multiple important rivers in our culture, inclu including uh, the rivers of Peru and the Orinoco River. And a lot of, of, of our folklore is based on the stories of these rivers, the spirit of the river, the goddess of the river, the slaves who were drowned in the river and how the spirits continue running around. Um, we have a lot of culture on that, and a lot of our magic is focused in two things, water magic and drinks magic. Uh, so for me, was a simple book on dreams for people who come from different places, which is not South America. This was more a book about our culture. So I just continue expanding the book. I sent this proposal to multiple publishers and editors, and literally everybody says no. <laughs> 
Lewin Worldwide was the one who says, yes, we can, we go to the world. Uh, we like um, the perspective that you think about indigenous communities. It's a person who comes from there. I born in Amazonas, Venezuela. I grew up in there. I hung out with the tribes. I learned the language. Actually, what was my first language. Uh, so having what for me something that I give for granted for these people is like something very new. So I just try to expand the material and be baited. And labeling have, uh, they give me like total freedom to just be myself. We don't go to try to prove this uh, to make it a standard. We go to let you be who you are in the book, say the, the things that you do, how you do it in there. Uh, we add a little disclaimer uh, in the first pages of the book to clarify, you know, if you are very used to read books on Western magic, probably this content will uh, show you a little bit uh, because we are a total different culture. That is very important to understand. We are total different people. Uh, right. You know that when you are in the subway in your city, American people is like a little more about boundaries, about respect my space, give me space. We Latinos, you know, you, you sit down next to a person who is from Latin America and help. I'm helping you from my heart. I don't need your permission for that. Uh, in American culture, it's an entirely different uh, set of, of boundaries and rules for that kind of things. So I need to add all of this context to my disclaimer, like you will find in this book, this kind of spells. I didn't want to remove it, uh, or I didn't want to make the spell a standard for you and showing you the spell, how we do it in our place. And that was from level in saying, yes, keep it in that way, it was very nice. Do you think, um... You said that you were um, turned down by a lot of publishers and Llewellyn um, accepted it. I find that Llewellyn is really changing um, the way they uh, publish and they're more acceptable to different types of books. They're not looking for just one cookie cutter type of book. Do you think there's a difference in publishing now where Llewellyn is kind of more open to books that aren't in the mainstream that are not the traditional cookie cutter kind of pagan book? Um, I'm going to say something that Many people will dislike, uh, but it's a total truth. When I come to America, when I come to the United States, being an immigrant years ago, one of the things that many people, I'm talking to any or 30 people, told me was leveling is not your place. Try with other publishers because leveling just publish certain kind of authors. Yeah. The thing is, that I, but then I noted when I was around for the past eight years that leveling has been like very open to receive proposals yeah. of everybody and to promote everybody. But because we have this kind of gossip around that you don't need to go there because they just promote these kind of people, nobody tries. So everybody goes in the other direction. And when you finally right. are in with, working with level and you see how really open they are. I mean, I, the, in the mails that I exchange practically every week with the editor, with their proofreader, with all of these amazing people working in the book, everybody is so accepting and so open-minded and so like, you know, this is your topic. We don't know about this. You need to explain it to us so we need, so we can make the proofreading for you adequate for the reader and adequate for you because we need to respect your culture. We want to respect your voice. We want to respect your language. 
we don't want something we don't want to do something awful here and that is something yeah. that for me being latino being published many times before with other different publishers this was like a total new feeling for me for me because when you in America, especially after the past uh, eight years, you are starting to feel like you, in some way, the book continue being authentic, the book, anything in the book, I have the chance to invite a lot of, because I wanted to add different perceptions from different countries, from different places, and we uh, reach nurturing authors from France, from England, from Costa Rica, people from Brazil. This is how other people do it in Europe, or in United Kingdom, or in Puerto Rico. And also, let me put here the stories of our tribal communities and how they develop these different spells and what these spells means for you. Because if you read a book on this magic from a Western perspective, multiple times the author or some kind of anthropologist or expert in the topic will say to you, oh, you know, in Amazonas, they do this, so do it. And nobody's playing why people in Amazonas is doing that. Just, you just assume that, oh, because they do it, this should work. Um, because yeah. it's some kind of weird idea that, oh, it's Amazon, so it's a magical place, or this should work. And we have stories of why this work, why you are using the water from the river? Well, we are using the water from the river because oh, our communities, our ancestors, a lot of slaves were drowned in that specific river and that energy and that sadness and that history is powerful and it's in there in that water. And why you are using this kind of uh, um, snake skin for this amulet. We are using that um, piece of the skin from the snake because this snake represents this for these communities, but also represents this other concept for this other entirely different tribe who live across the river. So it's a lot of information in there that I have the chance to put in the book. What do you want your uh, main if people read this book and take away anything from this book, what do you want the main concept to be? I want essentially in some way, first of all, I wanted to do a book that nobody has made it before. Like, I don't want to read again. People in Venezuela do this kind of space just because I wanted to add that. And in some way, I think that when people read it, they will learn to differentiate when someone with expertise on something is talking and when someone with not expertise is talking about something. I, I want people have um, them encouraged to research more about why we are doing things because I start taking English classes in 2016 or 17, was very close to COVID. Um, then around 2019, I started reading books in English, and I noted how much misinformation is uh, out there about or Latin Hispanic cultures. People just assume that because you are Hispanic, you are in some way magical, and that is not. That is actually very offensive. It's like you are just a magical character because you come from a hardest place, and it's not like that. It's just that because we come from a hardest place with a more difficult economy, a more, a more difficult political position, we use to try to keep closer or magic or righteous because in some way we feel that this gives us strength and encourages us to continue uh, working um, forward and continue advancing. And I think that that is one of the 
things that you will find in the book is how I try to teach in some way. This I'm giving you is not just magic and spell casting made up. It's years of history, centuries of culture. It's also a lot of research, constant research, because I need to translate myself, my own words from Spanish and from Portuguese and from Wayu to English. And I continue working and editing and asking questions to my mom. Like, you know, we have this spell that works in this way, but in the book I need to add it. But here in America, they don't have this herb. For which kind of plan I could replace it to recommend this to the people who want to feel encouraged to, uh, to make this same spell. And you know, it's a lot of research and constant conversation with a lot of people. Uh, I think that when you read the book, you will find that, like, oh, I need to research more about the things I'm doing and why I'm doing it. It's like when you read uh, multiple books on magic, says to you, oh, you, you have the full moon, so make a lot of spell casting, but why with the full moon and not with the new moon? Oh, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, Tuesday 13, this is a bad look day, but why? Why is the whole concept of this bad look day? I mean, I want people to research because when you research and you understand the root of the magic, you don't work just with the leaves from the tree, you're starting to work with the roots directly from the air, from the land. You put dirt in your hands and you work with something more powerful. But to work on that, you need to understand which is the root of this information. Why is this working for me or not working for me? In um, 2021, you published Manifestation Magic, 21 Rituals, Spells, and Amulets for Abundance, Prosperity, and Wealth. <clears throat> I'm curious about this book and want to know more. What can you tell us about why you wrote this and what readers can learn from this book? So I came from a very complicated place financially. Uh, my family don't grow up with a lot of money, but my family is filled with magical practitioners. Everybody in house practice magic, brujeria, witchcraft, spiritism, some kind of energy work. Um, in our communities, in Latin communities, this is pretty common. You always have some kind of bruja or witch in the family who read leaves and tarot and read the stars and make spells for money. This is very common with my family particularly have a lot of practitioners. Anyway, uh, even with my mom being so popular, because my mom is very popular in my country, uh, she's in radio interviews and newspapers and everything. She's some kind of the famous white witch in there. We never had a lot of money. We grew, grew up in a very complicated system, in a very complicated position. My mom had too many children. My grandma had too many children. So we are a very big family with not so much to share except for magic and tradition, but we don't have a lot of money. I am the first and the one uh, children of my mom who go to college. When I move to the United States, I think that things will be automatically different because you know the American dream. And when yeah. I arrive here, I just have $15 in my pocket. That's the story because migration in Venezuela don't let you go out with more than $20 in cash. If you go out with more than $20 in cash, they will put you in jail because it's literally illegal. Uh, you should have the money in your bank account, which is impossible if you have never lived the country. So you don't have- Yeah, a that bank sounds like a catch-22. Exactly. It's very weird. Uh, so I have some cash. I changed it one day before to get 
to get to the airport. I make $15. I arrive in United States with $15. Uh, my mom is like this thing that you need to arrive with some more cash in your hand. So cash will always be with you. And I try to have some cash, uh, but I don't have American bank accounts. I just have uh, $15 in my pocket. I make the whole travel where like 18 hours, I arrive in Atlanta, I make transfer to New York. I was hungry. I wanted to drink something, but I don't want to use this money. I arrive in America in August of 2015. I really just have $15 in my pocket. I don't have lawyers. I don't have friends here in, in New York. I don't have I don't have even the contact to, uh, with lawyers. I didn't talk the language. It was a total very good adventure. I arrived and I started working. I work in factories, I work in restaurants, I was a dishwasher, I started writing my books, I was selling charm bags and spell castings in a plaza in New York. I did all the immigrant stuff that in some way you need to do because it's like old tradition, we need to do it, it's the test. But in some way I figured out working morning magic constantly, every time I have more clients and many of my clients are very great and they always overpay me in some way. I started doing readings and people always get back with friends, with their husband, with their wife, with their children. I need you to read if my children will go in the college. I need you to read if I'm gonna take this position in the in the work. I make very good position financially, just doing uh, magic. I could quit to my old to my other jobs and just remain doing magic. So in a certain moment I say, you know, I think in some way I master what I need to do here. And I continue noticing that in the magical community, people have a problem about taboo related with money magic. It's like, we are magical, we don't talk about money. We are spiritual, we don't talk about money. We work with energy, but we don't talk about money. It's that very weird perception. It's like, we are so spiritual, so free thinking, but we have this taboo about money, we can talk about that. And when you see the whole magical community, the whole environment, you see people go to these events and the stores and buying crystals and buying stuff, but they are not financially well. But I noticed that it was doing very well. And my thinking was, why me being Latino, needing to pay migration every month, which is very expensive, but also need to pay everything that everybody pays, the rent, the food, the clothes, the transport, everything else, how I'm doing so well, because I'm changing my apartment for a bigger one every time. Uh, so I write down the spells, the money spells that I do for my clients more often, especially because many of my clients are store owners, um, clue owners, and restaurant owners in your city. So I write down these spells and I say, I have in total 21 spells of money. Maybe if I explain these 21 spells and then you make a whole workshop on this, people will like it and people can use this for their, you know, their own practice. And I am having the whole book just made. So I send the proposal to my editor and they say yes, and we make the book. And my whole promotion has been all the time. Uh, this is not just the mindset of you sit down and let the law of attraction make brings to you because maybe you are depressed and, and you don't feel like in the mood to work with the law of attraction right now because you are very depressed. It's more than your state of mind. It's literally your brain saying to you, I don't want to work today. I don't want this shit. It's, it's that. Maybe you have anxiety, maybe you are not feeling well, uh, or maybe you don't have the money, like 
Many times I do take these workshops of money, magic, and abundance. People decide you need to make this whole very elaborated ritual with all of these implements. And people is coming to you paying $600 for a workshop. And you're saying to them that they need to spend another 500 or 400 in another workshop, another 300 in implements for a ritual to bring some little money for the pocket. That is not working. And that's not going to work. So I make the whole book like some kind of seminar starting from zero. What is magic? What is money? Why we have to talk about money? Why your money rituals are not working? Why all of these money rituals are grownly right? Why all of these books on money magic are wrong? Because many times they just say very basic stuff to you. Use green candles because green represents money. And you are like, okay, you just assume that is true because the author said to you, but it's no explanation below of that. Uh, put on, make this money bowl and put in a window and perfect. And what I do with the money bowl after that, I just let it in the corner turning turn dusty and dirty. No, you can do that because that money bowl represents your abundance. So you need to clean it with certain money oils from time to time. Uh, and how craft your own rituals? How bring abundance to you? So one of the exercises that I really love in the book, that is something that I put in my own practice and I teach for my students constantly is write down a list of 11 or 21 things that you know about money or that you think that you know about money. You sit down with paper and pen and you write down 21 things or facts that you have in your mind about money. When I pronounce money to you, what comes to your mind? Money is dirty, money is grown, money does not make happiness, yada, yada, yada. But money is not dirty, dirty is the hands handing the money to you. The money is not dirty. You can say that money is dirty. The money that you use to buy your uh, your food, to pay your rent, to pay for your insurance. These are very important things. Yeah, money don't will make you happy, but will help a lot of aspects of your life, like paying insurance, which is not total happiness, but will help you to figure out how to be happy. In other way, without focusing, I don't have money for the insurance, you know? Uh, so all of these taboos, I write it down, like why people think that money is wrong, why people think that money is bad. Let's stop seeing money like your enemy and seeing like a friend that you don't understand and a lie to you, a person who is there to you to help you, but you are rejecting because all your life people have been telling you, if you are not millionaire, you will not be millionaire never. If you don't born with a house, you will never buy a house. If you don't work every day 24-7, you will not have money in your life. If you don't have a bank account, you will not have a credit card. If you don't have a credit card, you will not have uh, good clothes tomorrow. People are you all of these things, and your mind is like overfilled with all of this garbage from other people. And when you write down all of these reasons that you have in your mind about money, and you write down why do you have this thought, which is the reason of me having this thought. Oh, I think money is grown. Why? Well, because my mom all my life told me we don't need money to live. Money will not make you happy. Money is a bad thing. Money changes people. Money is a very grown thing. Money is the evil. Money is the enemy. So all these things I have in my mind is not mine. It's from my mom. So I choose to reject all of this information and try to understand money in a different way. Money is my friend. I want money close to me. I want money wake up with me in the morning and come with me to the market center every day and go to the supermarket every day. I want money, miss me, like I miss money constantly. Trying to change 
the conversation, trying to change that reflection that you have. And I write down all of this and make a marvelous book that I humbly say is a really good book. And I think that was, that did very well in the market. People really like it and I enjoy seeing or listening people when they come to me saying, you know, that would literally help me a lot when I was in a very bad position because witches are doing all of this we're only money spells just because it's right down in a book but nobody says to you what you are doing bad. If you are doing a money spell, thinking that money is grown, and you are doing an abundance ritual, thinking that you don't need money in your life, the abundance will try to manifest in a different way. Abundance will be like, okay, you are calling me, but you don't want money. So let me figure out how I can do it. Instead, if you do an abundance ritual, thinking money will help me a lot, the money will flow to you because you are conjuring without any fear, without any taboo in your mind. So the money will arrive and you can use the money to pay for your credit cards, to pay for your insurance. So you can focus your mind in other things that actually make you happy. And it's not the money, it's other things, but money will take care of those other things. You don't need to be a millionaire, but it's very nice having some money that you can use to help yourself, to pay your rent, to live better, and to help the people that you like and the people that you love, like your loved ones, like is your mom or your dad don't have an insurance and they need the money right now. For a medical thing, it's very nice having the money in your hands to help. Not to say, oh, I have money, I'm happy. No, it's not, this no goal made you happy, but will give you a little more of time of life with your mom and your dad who are pro probably very sick. You know, it's that understanding of money is not your enemy. Whole society has made the idea of money is your enemy. No, the millionaires maybe can be our enemies. Billionaires are totally your enemies, but not the money. Money is just a tool that we don't have access and we need to try to figure out the access to the money physically and metaphysically in some kind of way. And when people continue telling me, oh, this don't work, hey, I don't know, but I'm an immigrant in the United States. I just have eight years here. It has been very difficult, but I continue here. I just pay my rent, I just bought my house, I have my car, I'm doing pretty well. So for me, this is working. And for my students, this continues working. So maybe it's not working for you. Why? So you need to figure out. I'm not saying that you have the last voice on the topic, but maybe something in your own mind that is keeping you like very away to take the abundance, the money, the prosperity that is literally in there. Like my mom always say, the money is out there in the wild. We just need to find it. But the money's in there. I want to ask you, um, we talked, you talked a little bit earlier about um, your mother. You're originally from South America and learned from your mother and sisters various forms of divination as well as healing practices. Can we talk about that a little bit and when this training became for you? Yes. I don't know exactly when the training started, my, uh, but... I have said this before, um, my like oldest memory related with witchcraft or brujeria was, I was very child, like five or six, and I was in this ritual with the neighbors who live upstairs. Uh, they were doing some kind of ritual, it was some kind of party, and everybody was dancing, and they have drums, and they had a lot of uh, liquor. People were drinking a lot. Um, they spit liquor around for some reason, and they put some necklaces on you, and they dress you in red and paint your face, and you are dancing 
the middle of, of the ritual. That is my oldest memory. Then when I grew up, I understand, oh, I was being initiated. Oh, I didn't know it. Uh, that for us is like what is for Catholic Western people, the Baptist, when you are Catholic, this was our thing. Uh, then after that, we moved to the city. And when we moved to the city, uh, my, I remember my mom telling me, you know, the city is entirely different to the tribes. This, you don't have many trees. Uh, it's not so green. It's more buildings. We don't talk about things like magic. We don't talk the old language. We don't talk about gods and goddesses. We don't talk about these kind of things. These people have one god. That god makes everything for them. Don't make mad that god. Don't name any other god because they will be very mad at you. Uh, just that behave very well. And for me, it was like, okay, uh, you are sending me to some kind of little hell that I don't really understand. I was like nine or 10 years old. And when I started going to the school, to the regular school, with, uh, what now I know that, this, that people, I know that oh, all of these people have a different belief than mine. They have one God who makes everything. I have so many gods. Uh, so I really don't remember when I started the training, but it's something that was always in there in some way. Because when you grow in these kind of places, they don't just teach you different languages and you talk with the Guayus, the Caris, the Arawaks in the regular language in the river. To also, uh, what, for, what for people here is some kind of Amazonian folk magic for us is your is our lifestyle. You bless yeah. the food before to eat and you wash yourself in the river. People here is like, oh, you go to the Amazonas and you take a shower in the river for purification. And for us, it's like, we take the shower in the river because we don't have showers. Yeah, Just that. And yes, we believe that the river have a uh, purification uh, magic, some kind of purification energy, but it's not something that we say, oh, you know, I'm going to the river because I'm having bad luck. For us, it's just, I'm going to take a shower and you take the shower in the river. And what for Americans, is like, oh, I'm going to do ayahuasca. For us, it's like, a Sunday in there, uh, or cacao. Uh, we have these cacao ceremonies that we do with the bowls and with the music, and it's a lot of smoke, and it's a very spicy substance. Uh, it's a very magical ritual. I think that cacao ceremonies are like the most sacred magical things that we have, and actually come from Peruvian people who live in Amazonas. And, you know, it's that kind of perception that, I never was like, oh, I'm starting to a, a training now. The training was always there teaching me because you go to the river and people is doing stuff and you and we have a lot of tourists in there from all kinds of places. So you start taking a little bit of every language in there. And all of these tourists comes to you for rituals, for healing, and you just see what your mom is doing. Your mom go in the morning. She needs to collect all of these herbs every morning before the sun comes out. She collects a lot, big hand of herbs with eucalyptus, with mint, with flowers, with stuff, and rosemary. Uh, she tied down all of these herbs, and the people make a whole big line to pay her for she moving the herbs around them and making some smoke and smoking some tobaccos around them. Uh, you see that, and you grow up with that, and that is your lifestyle, it's your day by day. And then here, people tell you, oh, that, that was your training. And they was like, oh. So I was training, I didn't know it. Uh, 
So the training in some way was always there. My mom was initiated in spiritism, in traditional Venezuelan spiritualist. That's the English right way to do it. Uh, she was initiated in Yoruba, which is Santeria. Uh, she was initiated in Paloma Yombe. So because when you are in Venezuela, we are very close to Brazil. We are next to Brazil, next to Colombia, next to uh, Urasao and Trinidad. So we have a lot of Afro-Caribbean influence because we have Brazil next to us. And Brazil is like, it's like the origin of, of all of this stuff uh, because the African slaves during the transatlantic, they bring a lot of their deities and magic and traditions and they blend it with the indigenous community in Brazil. Uh, we have all of this developing of new Afro-Caribbean religions and traditions of magic. And we have Candomblé, Yoruba, uh, Lukumi, we have um, Kimbanda, Umbanda, Mayombe, we have so many traditions. And when you are practicing some, two or three of them, you notice how all of them are very similar in some way. And then when I was growing, she prepared me or trained me to do these uh, initiations to, oh, you go to Vinicius now in Candomblé and two years later, you would be initiated now in Yoruba that here in the United States because people here use a lot of um, tags and words to explain everything. You need to clarify that all of this is different. For us in there is a bit more like, we are all santeros. We don't put names like, oh, you are doing this or you are doing that. For us, for us it's just, oh, you are, in that part, okay, it's, it's our thing. Like, like I said when I started the podcast, um, we are very difficult, uh, different cultures, American cultures and Latin American cultures. I see it in North America. People is very good heart, much more than we know in the books because when you come from outside uh, in the schools, they paint North America like some kind of hell where everybody's a hater and everybody will hate you. Uh, when you come here, you are like terrified. And when you see how nice it's people, my first experience here was literally arriving in the uh, in Atlanta in the airplane. I was very lost. I don't talk the language. I didn't knew that Atlanta had a subway inside of the airport. That was low mind for me. And I arrived in there, and I need to make the transfer to the travel to New York City. I was totally lost. And this couple of women who don't talk my language, they were like, you are very lost, let me help you, show me your ticket, I show them their, my ticket, and they take the whole travel in the subway with me and leave me in New York City. And I was like, wow, people here is very nice. And but at the same time, people here is in some way so traumatized for so many things that have happened in America. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking just about recently, me too, I'm like this mother, I'm talking about first war, second war, um, constant hate from all the countries around, everybody hating America for some reason. So people is very bonded to their own boundaries. People is like, please don't come to my space because I'm trying to be safe. And mm -hmm. in Latin America, for us, it's, it's an entirely different culture. For us, it's like, if you are attacking Colombia or Peru, you are attacking us. So we are all together in some way. So it's two entirely different cultures. Sorry that I repeat that so much. No, you're fine. So did you reach a certain point when you reached the age of maturity? Did you come to a point where you're like, who am I? What do I want to do when I'm older? 
was it just something was it a continuum from your training when you were young or did you reach a point where you had to think what do i want to do or was it just something that was part of who you are and you just kept doing it for a long time when i was in college i wanted just to like just to college and after high school make college and graduate and take a regular job but you, th- you need to do the things that make you feel loved that make you feel useful like oh i'm doing something for other people and i'm feeling this something great for me uh so my work never was like something very nice it was advertising and marketing which is a lot of creativity but it's not like something really to fulfill your soul uh but all the time i continue working with my mom when i was in high school i continue helping her doing spell work for clients and i start my tarot readings in that moment then when I was in college and we didn't have the money to continue paying for college, I have a job, but also I was selling charms and I was doing readings in different places and offering classes. So this continues just being some kind of tradition for me. I come to America and I continue keeping this tradition, like doing readings, trying to do better, trying to do charms. People here have a different kind of energy, different kind of magic, different elements, different plants, different crystals, different minerals. The energy feels different, so try to work with this and trying to bring the best from these people using their own magic. So I just continue learning and learning and learning. And in some way, this has been like progressive. Like you just continue doing your thing. And it's what I continue doing now. And now, now I see myself like in three years, I will I will really like to continue doing this. I would really like to continue having clients to, coming to my home. Uh, doing reading, doing spell work, doing cleansings and stuff. I think that that is what I really want to do. I, I never had the awakening. I feel like in some way I was always trained just to be where I am. Did you ever feel at any time that you needed to hide this from other people? Did you ever worry about any kind of negative repercussion in your life from your spiritual identity and who you are? Just here in the United States, because migration can be very complicated. Yeah. So when they ask you questions, you are like, you need to explain in many possible ways that the herbs that you are using is not a drug. The things that you are saying to people are not satanic things because satan, the, the devil is not part of my religion, tradition, or faith. It's not something which I believe. Uh, when you are in Latin America, uh, it's like something very common. If you travel out of these countries, you will know that in any of these countries, you will know that every family have that uncle or that auntie who make these and read the leaves and read the tarot and she make interpretation of the dreams. But here, when you know that migration is like watching your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter every day, you are like, okay, I need to be very careful of the information that I put out there because they can use anything that you put out there against you. Um, so in some way, I back down a lot, mostly on my socials. Like, it's a lot of things I would like to share, but because I'm not an American person, I mean, I'm not sure here, in any moment they can just take me out. Uh, so I'm like, oh, I want to post, oh, I know this post is something that people would like to read. This is something that they would lo- love to put into practice. But this can be very complicated to understand, so I'd rather not to put this out there. So many times I just back down myself, like, keep that for 
I don't know, in 11 years, you can share it, but not right now. You worked with several um, covens in the United States before you turned um, to the Yoruba tradition. Um, can you talk about that time period and what you maybe got out of the covens and what you were lacking um, that made you want to go towards the Yoruba tradition? When I was growing, something that disliked me a lot was the animal sacrifice constantly. I really disliked this a lot. Uh, even when... I, I visit my grandma, she had all of these animals in house. She had pigs, chickens, dogs, uh, all kinds of animals, like 12 different kinds of animals in her house. But when you grow up with that, and you see that people sacrifice so many animals for the religion, uh, you feel like, at, at least for me, this was like, I don't want to be part of this. So I yeah. continue doing the training, I continue doing the cleansings, I continue uh, burning tobacco, um, all of these kinds of things, but I didn't want to do anything related with animals. When I write the time of my initiation, I say, no, I don't want to take it. Uh, everybody was mad at home uh, because it's, it's like the baptism for Catholic people. This is something that everybody in home needs to do it, and I didn't want it. Uh, so I, I, start, I start learning about Wicca, and I have this high priestess who come from England. She was living in England for around six years, and she come back to Venezuela because her husband uh, passed away in England. Uh, so she tried to create her own coven in Venezuela, and I started being part of this coven. And after that coven, I started being part of another coven. Then I make my own coven with my friends, which was something of just some months uh, because we were working. So the schedule was very complicated. But I continued learning a lot about Wiccan traditions, and that was very fulfilling. Like, the perception of how you can venerate nature, the cycles of the moon, the cycles in the sky, the change of seasons constantly. And that for me was very nurturing, was some kind of escape that I needed. Like, I want to continue practicing magic because magic for me is something very real, something that I can touch and feel. It's not something that I just read in the books. But I don't want to be part of this path. I don't want to see animals dying. So I just moved to the Wiccan community for a long time, for around seven years. After that, I learned, um, I remember this conversation, the high priestess was talking with someone in the group saying, oh, you know, you need to work to learn from Santeros because they learn a lot, they know a lot. People who practice Yoruba, they read these books and they have so much training. And nobody in the coven knew that I was part of the Yoruba tradition because I never say it. And I was there seven years and I never said to them. So when I learned that, it was like, wow, they really admire what we do, something that I don't. Uh, then when I go out of the coven, uh, because I was moving again and I was having a new job in a new city, I in some way try to reconnect with the root. Uh, I start understand, I start reading books on black history and slavery. And then I understand why the animal sacrifice was something so important that really nobody enjoys, but people continue doing it because the perception from outside for people is you do sacrifice animals. So you take the animal, you kill it, and just that. And people just think that we are doing that, but not actually. When you go and order a burger in any restaurant, they bring you some kind of meat that you don't are sure how much time that was in the freezer. 
you are not sure yeah. even from which part of the animal this comes from where farm you don't know anything but you are eating that food anyway you are putting that inside of you the difference with sacrifice animals for or deities is that you have this little farm where all the chickens from the moment that they born they are protected and vaccinated and feed and nurtured because they will be sacrificed for the deity so nobody never hurt any of these chickens and then the day of the sacrifice arrive for a ritual an initiation whatever they take the chicken they pray to the chicken they pray and make a whole ritual that we believe will take out the pain from the animal for the ritual we have like several techniques to make the sacrifice in the most painless fast possible way and when we do it, this animal, which is offered to the deity, will after that prepare to make food for every person present during the ritual. So at the end of the day, we will eat the food with the deity. So when I finally understand that, and understand that this was a remaining from Black history, from, you know, the slaves, they need to sacrifice the one animal related for that. And when I understand that, I was like, it's better literally eat the food from the sacrifice than eat the food from the restaurant. So I just like reconnect with this food. And even when I don't make animal sacrifices because I didn't take that ritual uh, that you need to do to, to be able to do the sacrifice, I finally have respect for that. Like what I'm saying no, from a very superficial reason. Oh, this looks disgusting. It's actually a lot of history and you're connecting with your ancestors and in some way you are honoring the dates of these slaves. You are, because many of them has to pray or you are in some way healing the whole nature of the place. You are healing the slave spirit and let them advance to the next state. So for me, that was the moment I, I Say okay, I want to take the initiation, and they say yes, we are ready. And I take one initiation after another, and I just start all the training in some way again, and reading more books and understanding more. Not just like oh, I'm part of a tradition of Afro-Caribbean people, so it's cool. Was more like I'm part of all of these years of history, trauma, slavery, racism, and in some way, in every ritual that you are doing, every candle. That you are lighting every time that you smoke some incense, uh, every time that you do something, you are honoring the land, the history, you are healing the path because it's important to understand that when the uh, names, the ships arrives in America, this was a lot of pain and a lot of trauma. And which every ritual that you are doing, you are in some way healing the whole land and saying to the spirit, Sorry for this, we are now working together. Please take this food, please. Uh, take this offering, this light, this incense, let me honor you for all the pain that our ancestors caused to you in some way. We're hearing a lot more about Yoruba traditions now, um, finally, I think after quite a long time of yeah. um, much of the media around paganism and um, I, I guess I'll use paganism as an umbrella term, even though it's kind of clumsy. Um, yeah. We're finally seeing a lot more now that's not specifically based on Western ideas or European ideas of magic. Um, 
if you could tell our listeners just something that you'd like them to know about Yoruba, I know that's a lot to ask because it's a big question, but if you can just kind of say what you'd like them to take away about your knowledge of Yoruba, what could you say to them? Uh, Yoruba, which for us is not just a tradition, it's also a language that we talk in the rituals, uh, is some kind of perspective out there that you can have a Black religion without Black people. I'm not part of that perspective because I'm erasing the abuse of against the Black community, discriminate people. I think that the deities should be happy and proud to have more people praying to them, especially very honest, nice people who is looking for their path. I think that Yoruba should be a bit more open and less discriminatory because discrimination does go anywhere. Uh, we can complain that people don't understand or religion or tradition, and we can't complain that people is constantly attacking us if you don't tell them or show them what exactly they are attacking because they are obviously attacking you from their ignorance. So you show them yeah. a little bit more about what we are doing, they will understand and they will say, okay, you are not benediting the devil, you are doing something different. So I can't stop discriminating you. Uh, so I think that I respect all the practitioners in my traditions, whatever they are, white, European, Asian, I don't have any problem with anyone. Always that they have been trained and they have been initiated for someone who actually comes from the tradition. Uh, if you were initiated and you were trained, I'm not the person to say that you don't belong here. Because our date is at the end of the day comes from Africa and we are in America. So I can't argue against any, anyone. If you come to me saying, you know, I am French Italian and I want to learn Yoruba, but I will say, okay, if you promise to keep the secrets, I will teach you whatever you want to learn. Because yeah. I am not the person qualified to say no. And I don't think that anybody here is qualified to say no, because at the end of the day, we are all humans. We, are, we all go to die in any moments, the ladies will continue here. Now that your book, Dream Magic, is out, um, what's next for you? Um, promotion. <laughs> uh, lots of promotion. <laughs> I, wa I want to promote this book. I want to... Uh, something that I really love to do in this book was inviting people, because for years I was creating... Uh, this career, this Instagram space, this Facebook, this Facebook space, the whole virtual community where I want to everybody feels like they are part because it's people who are black and they say I can't be Wiccan because Wiccans don't like me because I'm black. Are people who are white and says to me I want to learn about this but people don't want to teach me because I am I look white and I has been working very hard behind cameras trying to create a safe, diverse, respectful environment. And now that the book is out, I want everybody see like, okay, he's immigrant, he's from South America, he's gay, he could do it, I can. That's the goal. If I could go against homophobia, against the racism, against the discrimination, against all the obstacles and do it, you can do it. You can venerate whatever your family practice. If you remember any spell, any ritual that your grandma who was, I don't know, Swiss, Italian, uh, Norwegian, uh, Australian, whatever. She remember that she was praying, I don't know, to the stars. 
që kanë du datë, ta disë partë të gjërë magjë, kësi një gjërë glotë, gjërë kanë duhet, meket ati, rekonekuit e spirit of gjërë grama, rekonekuit e spirit of gjërë ancestor, rekonekuit e spirit of gjërë land, pronë kërë e verë gjëkom, antrajnë të put all of that together, andu gjërë, onë magjë bilkosë sa lot of magic out there, andu sa lot of branch of magic, the thing is, people is more focused in the brands than in the practice, and I think that everybody should have their individual practice, and every individual practice is valid, whatever you do, whatever you do, your, your rituals, every full moon, or maybe you say, you know, I don't want to train anything, I just want to read the books, and that is a very valid practice that you should be able to do. I just want that everybody does their thing, and they feel comfortable, and in the same way that a lot of people say to me, no, we don't go to publish this book, and I continue doing it. I want people to say, you know, I'm going to do this, whatever you think, whatever you say, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to reconnect with my roots. I'm going to take my magic. I'm going to reclaim my power. I'm going to use the power of my ancestors. And I'm going to put all of this together. And I'm going to do my own thing, whatever you like it or not. OM, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Dream Magic is out now. We have links to that in the bio, as well as um, all the previous books by Aloim as well, and um, the website. Thanks for being on the podcast. I really very am very honored to be able to talk to you. Thanks to Judy and everybody who's listening to this. Please support the podcast and please support our spaces. We don't have many. We don't have many podcasts. We don't have enough safe, diverse spaces. So if you want or can, if it's available for you in any possible way, support this podcast and promoted, please do it because we need more open spaces like this one. Thank you. That was my conversation with Eloim Lefar. His new book, Dream Witchery, is out today. We have links to this book in the bio, and you can look at his other books through links in the bio as well. Next week, we'll be speaking with Charles Harrington about his new Tarot the Vampires deck. Until then, may you have a blessed week.